0: can we thank our worship team one more time this morning? Yeah. Awesome. 1030 service. You had an extra hour of sleep. I hope you're awake. I am so glad to be here with you this morning. If you haven't met me before, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as one of the pastors at the church. And uh, we are finishing up the book of Acts, 28 weeks, and uh, man, I hope you have grown through it. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged as well, too. And we're going to jump into that in just a minute. Before we do, I w- I w- two things I want to let you know about. One is Night to Shine, and uh, we're asking for your help for this. And if you don't know what Night to Shine is, it's a prom night specifically geared towards people with, with special needs. It's an amazing night. We need a ton of people. I just checked right before we came up here that we've already had 136 people Sign up to serve, which, yeah, that's incredible. Um, I think we can easily double that for sure. We need 200 people. And what we need are people to come along and be buddies, to be there with someone with special needs. We're going to provide you training, but there's also going to be support staff on hand. So you're not going to be asked to deal with the situation you're not prepared for. Uh, We also need people to work with setup, with teardown, with food. But yeah, being a buddy, man, you just get to come along and show God's love to that person, just have a good time and celebrate. All you gotta do is text the word night to the number up on the screen, and we'll get you plugged in. That information is in your worship program as well. And then, uh, you know, I was in student ministry for 10 years, so stuff like this gets me pretty pumped up. Tonight, we're having a worship night at our Sandusky campus. For all high school students from all three campuses, they're gonna meet together in Sandusky at six o'clock. And this worship night is led by our chapel young adults. And um, no offense to anybody, but they are the coolest people in this church right now. They are amazing. They're young people between the ages of like 19 and 30 who are genuinely living out their faith, which is so important for high schoolers to see. For high schoolers, the reality is about 80% of high school students, when they graduate from high school, they will graduate from the church. They will stop going, they will stop having faith, is an engaging part of their life. And to see people who are who are a little bit older than them actively living out their faith can be so transformative. So if you are a high school student or you know a high school student, make sure they're at this tonight. It's going to be awesome. I promise. So, again, this morning we are getting into the book of Acts chapter 28. That's where we're going to be today. If you want to read along in your Bible or in the Version app, we'll have the text on the screen for you. Uh, but before we start, I want to ask if you've ever been to a sporting event before and the team that you're watching, whether it's a group of guys or a group of girls, you are like, man, they are, they are unstoppable. And you're, you might be out there and be like, well, no, because I am also a Browns fan and they are very Stoppable. <laughs> yeah, they are the opposite of unstoppable. Somebody said, and I don't know if this is true, that it's statistically harder for the Browns to be as bad as they are than to just occasionally have some winning seasons, right? It's like they're, in, they're, in, they're manufacturing ways to lose. But this idea about being unstoppable is important because the idea of unstoppable appears in the book of Acts chapter 28. Here's what it says in chapter 28, verses 30 through 31. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. I love that phrase, no one tried to stop him. It comes from this Greek word, which is akoluto, All right? I'm not a Greek scholar, but we're all going to say this together. Akaluto. Ready? Akaluto. Great. Now you all know a word in Greek, and you can impress your friends with that. And this word means without hindrance. Without hindrance. That's why the New American Standard uh, Version says this. uh, That word is translated as unhindered. All right? Unhindered. And there's two things specifically in this passage that that seem unhindered. And those two things are hospitality and hope. Let's look at the first one, which is unhindered hospitality. So, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Now, when we think of hospitality, we might think of putting out a plate of cookies when we're having some friends over, maybe lighting a candle if our neighbors are stopping by, things like that. Or let's be honest, hospitality might mean for you if you have toddlers, just cleaning up all the toys off the floor so nobody like slips on a Hot Wheels and then sues you or something, uh, right? That's what you're thinking. And um, if you're, or you might be a perfectionist like me, and my wife's like, "Hey, we're gonna have some people over," and I'm like, "Okay, cool. I gotta clean the baseboards. I gotta wash the trash cans. I gotta dust the rafters in the attic, or you know, wipe down the furnace." You know, hospitality though, during this time period meant so much more. This actually meant welcoming people who were complete strangers into your home and providing a meal for them. People you didn't even know their names yet, asking them to come and be a part of your household or your life. This happened to me and it radically changed my life. 2009, Uh, I moved to Norwalk, I rented an apartment from a family at the chapel. They knew that I went to the church, but they didn't know me. I just showed up, I had a mohawk back then, I don't know if you remember that phase of Joe Binkley, it was cool, and I had a mohawk, I just showed up, and I, they had this apartment and they were gonna rent it to me because I had moved to Norwalk so that I could be closer to my older two kids. A lot of you know that I had a previous marriage. So they rent me this apartment and during that time I was a bartender. I was a bartender for eight years. Even after you know God freed me from drinking, I still bartended for like another year and a half. And I felt like God calling me to get out of that profession, but I was afraid to because I knew that if I did, you know, I was probably gonna take a pay cut because we were making decent money. Well, I decide, you know, that I needed to get out of that lifestyle, and that was just for me, and so I felt God doing that. Well, I took a massive cut in pay, and it came to the point where I couldn't afford the apartment anymore, so I called the owner of the apartment, and uh, his name was Joe, and their family goes to the chapel. Um, Joe Hensy has passed away since then, but they're, they're, they're a great family, and I said, hey, Joe, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford to live in the apartment anymore. I'm so sorry I'm going to have to move back to Fremont, you know, with my parents, and uh, he was like, okay, he understood. So he calls me back like 10 minutes later, and he's like, Joe, I have an idea. And I was like, oh, sweet, he's going to cut the rent in half. Well, he didn't. And uh, he was like, you know, we have this big house. All of our kids are moved out. we got this full basement. How about you just come and live with us? And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, just come and live with us. And so I did for eight months before my wife and I got married. And it was a transformative time in my life. Like, they didn't just say, hey, you know, stay in the basement, keep to yourself, use the sign. No, we lived together, we ate meals together, we talked about Jesus together, we watched TV together, we watched Gunsmoke, which I still think that show's boring. But like, we just did, we did life together and it changed who I was as a person. And I'll be honest, I wouldn't be who I am today without the hints opening their home to me. And I hope that inspires you to do the same. And you might say, oh, I don't know, that's, that's kind of scary, just open your home up to anybody? Because they didn't know me. They didn't even really think about it. He called me 10 minutes later. They weren't asking people, getting advice. They were just like, hey, God, you know, we gotta do this, right? Maybe God is calling you to do the same thing, but that might just scare you. Well, I'm gonna tell you that sometimes the very thing that scares you is the thing that God is calling you to do. And I hope that this message today inspires and it challenges you to, to, to practice hospitality. Um, what makes this even more astounding, though, in Acts is that Paul is welcoming everybody in while he's showing hospitality. He's actually on house arrest. He's still in chains. It said, the text tells us that for two years, he was on house arrest in Rome. He didn't even get a jail cell. He was on house arrest. He didn't get meals or anything. He had to rent his own place at his own expense and while he's still under guard. Imagine going to jail and having to pay for it, and then also provide your own food. So he had to count on friends to supply food for him. And it's in this context, Paul is welcoming people into his home, which really removes any excuse that we might have to not be hospitable. I don't know if you're on house arrest. If you are, that's okay. But maybe you're not really excited to have people over. And, you know, with, with that, with Paul kind of getting rid of all excuses, we, we sometimes, that's our problem with being hospitable. We have excuses, or we have reasons, which are actually excuses. You know, we'd It's not just the right season in our life right now to have somebody come and live with us. You know, we'd let you borrow our car, but you know, you kind of got a bad driving record. You might think, you know, we got toddlers. I don't know if we should just bring somebody in. What if that's bad? Our house is being remodeled right now. Budget's kind of tight. Oh, you want to join our small group? Ooh, it's it's full right now. We've got a lot of reasons to keep ourselves from being hospitable. You know, Um, but what Paul was doing. That was hospitality, and it was unhindered hospitality, because he was welcoming in everyone. This was the same type of hospitality that marked the early church, and it marked the lives of the followers of Jesus. Throughout Acts, we see tons of examples of this. And now, I understand that the book of Acts, that early church, was 2,000 years ago, completely different time And context, right? And so we may not show hospitality the same way that they did, but yet we are still called as followers of Jesus to show hospitality. I'm gonna tell you why here in a minute. Throughout the book of Acts, we see examples of this. You know, Acts 2 says that they worship together at the temple each day met in home for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Acts chapter nine and 10, it says that Peter accepts the hospitality of Simon the tanner in Joppa. Now this is important because Peter was a Jew and according to Jewish custom, he would not go to the home of somebody who was a tanner, who worked with animal skins because that would have made him ceremonially unclean according to Jewish law. But Peter knew that there was something greater at stake than his religious obligations. And then it says that Peter extends hospitality to Cornelius' his messengers, and Cornelius was a Roman centurion. So this is crazy, too, because the centurion, he was the enemy, all right? They had invaded Jerusalem, were overpowering them, and now Peter meets with one of those guys, which just goes to show that in the early church, they were not willing to let excuses or reasons keep them from showing hospitality. This quote by Andrew Arterbury says it great. For most early Christians, an absence of hospitality would mean an absence of love for God and neighbor. What he's kind of saying here is your level of hospitality, your level of love for others is kind of a gauge on how your relationship with Jesus is. You know, because I, I wonder, how are you and I doing with this, with, with hospitality? You know, have you, have you opened yourself, your house lately to someone that just needs some extra care and support? And please understand, I'm not somebody up up here, standing here, preaching this at you. I also struggle with this, I'm preaching this with you. You know, have you or I opened our house lately to someone that just needs some extra love and support? When was the last time you had your neighbors over or took them a plate of cookies? Or your pastor, I don't know. How have I recently opened my life to others? Help someone to feel safe and provided for their needs? What is hindering us from being more hospitable? busy schedule? Or, right, we can all say that, you know, I'm so busy. Everybody's busy. You know, you got work, you have sports, all these things. We're all busy, right? Underneath of that, is there some selfishness going on? Maybe, again, the thing that you fear is the very thing that God is asking you to do. Or what about those of you who are here and you're listening to this and maybe you're not convinced of this whole Jesus thing? You just, you just came here today. You're with a friend. Uh, maybe you've been coming for a while because your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or whoever makes you come, right? And you're just like, hey, I'm just listening. I'm, just, I don't, I'm not bought in on this. I'm just checking it out. I hope that you've had some followers of Jesus open their homes to you or open their lives to you to look out for you, to show you care. And if not, that's on us as followers of Jesus. Please don't let that be a reflection of Jesus himself. We can do better, and we want you to know that you are valuable to God and to us. You know, for Paul in the early church, hospitality marked the Christian life, and it should do the same for you and me as well. And here's why. Because at the end of Acts, we see Paul welcoming people in while he's on house arrest, and he explains why. It's it's this, it's unhindered hope. You see, hospitality was a means to an end, to share hope, Acts twenty. 28, 30 through 31, he stayed for two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Paul is using his hospitality to preach about the kingdom of God. He's focused on helping people understand that this world is not the way that it's supposed to be, that it is broken, that it is filled with sickness and disease and pain and hurt, But Paul is pointing people to a kingdom, which he actually wrote about in his letter to the Romans. He says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hope, he's sharing hope. Hope that life can be different. That life is so much more than getting up, drinking coffee, going to work, going to lunch, work, school, getting home, making dinner, doing the dishes, watching Netflix, going to bed, and repeating that over and over and over and over and over for years. That there is a kingdom, a kingdom that is, that, it, that is being offered to us, a kingdom that is not that is far off in the future when we get to heaven. This is about a kingdom that we get to experience now, right here in this broken world, that instead of selfishness there can be an evil, there can be goodness. Instead of dissension and strife and anxiety, there can be peace. Instead of sadness, there can be joy. There can be joy, church. Paul was pointing the hope unhindered. The hope of the kingdom of God is focused on the king of that kingdom, and that king is Jesus, which is why the text goes on to say, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all un- openness unhindered. Even while Paul is imprisoned in his house, he shows hospitality and hope unhindered. And that real hope is found in Jesus. That's what Paul cared about. That's, that's, Paul cared about people knowing Jesus. He didn't open his home just because he liked having people over while he was on house arrest. He opened his home, he showed hospitality so he could show that he cared about people and point them to Jesus, which was their greatest hope. His life had been changed by Jesus. We've read about that multiple times through the book of Acts when he was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus. Paul was not out looking for Jesus. Jesus radically changed his life. He had found hope in Jesus. He had found life in Jesus and he wanted everyone to experience that. You know this. If you go see a movie and it's amazing, or you go to a restaurant, you have an incredible meal, What is you start working that into conversations. You want other people to share in that experience. And Paul's life was so radically transformed by the life of Jesus, he experienced so much love from Jesus, he could not help but do anything he could to share that with other people. That hope is what the entire book of Acts is about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. The good news that Jesus came He really came. He really died on a cross for our sins and rose again so that we could receive eternal life and hope. The entire book of Acts is about spreading that hope in an unhindered way. You know, if you think back to the very first chapter of Acts, he says this, but you will receive power, these are Jesus' words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus made a promise here that God's people would be filled with God's power so that they could share the message of Jesus everywhere with anyone. And now you might be here thinking like that maybe God is calling you to do something that's scary, right? To offer hospitality to somebody you'd probably rather not offer hospitality to. To get involved in the life of somebody that you really don't like or feel like you have time for and you think there's no way that I'm gonna be able to pull this off. The problem is, is that you have Holy Spirit amnesia. You forget that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you as a Christ follower today, and that that power is available to you. So if God calls you to do something that's beyond your capabilities, good. That opens the door for God to move, not for you or me to move. That's the message of hope. That's the power that we have. And you have a chance to do that now. I mean, think about this. Shoeboxes, it kind of comes and it goes, right? It becomes a tradition. It's something you do to your family. But do you realize what you're doing here? You are offering unhindered hospitality and unhindered hope. You are giving a gift to a child, something that they could probably never imagine having. Stuff that you can go and get from the dollar tree. Well, the dollar 25 tree. It's stuff that you go and get Okay, and you're like, these are just things that we just have in our house. They don't have these things. You're showing them unhindered hospitality by changing their life in that way so that they can know hope because it's not just a gift. It comes with the gift. It comes with the gospel. Maybe God's calling you to fill two boxes, maybe 50 boxes. I don't know. Whatever God is calling you to do, do that. And we see this promise that Jesus is offering fulfilled through the rest of Acts, you know, Peter's sharing this hope. He says, so Peter's speaking. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that the God that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. He says that Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Their lives were changed because of Peter's preaching. And it wasn't always easy. There were some hindrances that came, and yet the hope of Jesus is unstoppable. Stephen is sharing this hope while he's being murdered. It says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, "Lord, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Even while he's being brutally murdered, Stephen is sharing hope. Acts 8, another wave of persecution hits the church, but the believers continue to share in this hope. It says, the believers who were scattered because of persecution, literally forced to leave, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They didn't see this as like, oh, this is awful. We're being persecuted. We have to leave. We have to move all over the places. They just said, hey, this is where God wants us now. Peter is in prison for sharing his hope. But while Peter's in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him and there was a miraculous escape. That hope was unhindered. We see all through Acts, Paul, on his missionary journeys, sharing hope, proclaiming Jesus with tons of hindrances, More persecution, prison. Last week, we heard about a shipwreck, but also God doing miracles in people's lives and more people putting their faith in Jesus. It's unhindered hope. Even as we step into Acts 28, Paul's under house arrest. It says, a large so at a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, He spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things that he said, but others did not believe. Again, unhindered hope and hospitality. Nothing was stopping this. You would think that being under house arrest would have been a legitimate reason to not be hospitable, right? But what seemed like it could be a hindrance at first, in fact, opened a door of opportunity, Paul mentions this while he writes to the Philippian church. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. And because because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's unhindered hospitality and hope. The the reality, church, is that if anybody had excuses, excuses, to not be hospitable, to not share the hope of Jesus, it was Paul, right? Some legitimate reasons, but he never let them stop. There was persecution after persecution. And we live, the truth is, we live in one of the easiest settings to be a Christian. We are not, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. We are not being persecuted for our faith. And what we think is persecution is not. We are not being forced out of our homes for Jesus, We're not being imprisoned or murdered for our faith. So we really have very little hindrance to sharing the incredible love and grace and truth of Christ. But what I do see is our hindrance is sometimes a lack of hospitality. Here's what I mean. I think sometimes we just wish we could just like toss a Jesus grenade at somebody and then like stay away and like watch him get saved, right? You just want, you just hope that your neighbor just asks you if they can come to church with you some Sunday and they sit next to you and then me or Charles preaches some life-changing message and they just get saved and they become a Christian, right? Super easy, clean, you didn't have to get involved in their mess. But that's not really how it works because most people will come to faith in Christ through the conversation with somebody that they know and trust. But that requires us to be hospitable. Now we've got to open up our lives and we've got to get into their lives, which is what? Which is messy, right? Which is costly, which is difficult, which is awkward. And so a lot of times our unwillingness to be hospitable keeps us hindered from sharing that hope. You see, the cross-cultural practice of hospitality provides an ideal vehicle for sharing the gospel with unbelievers and unifying the Christian church. Hospitality is the means that we use to the end. The end is sharing that hope of Christ. The book of Acts is a record of the spread of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And that commission that Jesus gave to his first disciples in Acts 1-8 is the same commission that he gives to you and I. And because those first disciples told other people who believed, And then those disciples told other people who believed, and they told other people who believed, and they told other people who believed, and they told other people who believed. Eventually, the good news about Jesus was told to someone who told you and told me. And because of that, because of that, we have been given life with God. Or perhaps you're you're here for the first weekend, or this weekend for the first time, and I just want you to know that's still our mission, to be witnesses telling people everywhere about Jesus and to live with unhindered hospitality and hope and to share that with others. And that's, if that's not what you've experienced through Christians in your life, then that's on us, not on you, and we are sorry. You know, we are truly blessed to live in a place where there is still great freedom to show this hospitality and love of Christ and to share the hope of Jesus, but that's not the case in many parts of the world. You know, today, November 6th, is international, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Because as we sit here this morning, it might be difficult to grasp that there are persecuted churches, but there are churches meeting right now in countries, and they're literally meeting behind locked doors. They don't have lights, they don't have microphones, they don't have music like we do because they can't, because they're afraid that if people find out, they could get arrested or they could lose their lives. There are people who are meeting in churches and basements today because they can't let anybody know. It's very real. Opendoors.org reports this that 360 million Christians around the world suffer high levels of persecution. Last year, 5,110 Christian churches and buildings were destroyed. Last year, 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith, and that's just the number that was reported. India is one of the 10 most persecuted places for Christians to live, and yet the movement of Jesus is still strong there because, again, this hope is unhindered. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Thankfully, God has given us the opportunity to have two footprints in India. We have an adopted village through the India Gospel League and a church leader training and church planning ministry through the Hindustan Bible Institute. And so today as we close our service before we have communion together I want to pray for us and I want to pray for them. I want to pray for new believers that they would be that they would be grounded firmly and deeply in their faith. I want to pray for the salvation of their family members who have rejected or disowned them because of their faith in Jesus. I want to pray for pastors and church leaders for wisdom as they're sharing the gospel because a lot of them have been attacked, and I pray that God would give them the courage to continue to do so. I pray that more people would turn from darkness to the light of Jesus and accept, them, accept him as their savior. And I pray for us that we would be inspired by their courage, that we would share Jesus with others in the freedom that we have to do so. So would you bow your heads and as I pray? Father, I stand here before you on behalf of this church as a person who oftentimes has many excuses, excuses that I label as reasons to not show hospitality to people, to not take time to listen, to not invite them over, to not help them out financially financially. And God, I've got a lot of good reasons, but they're all excuses just to cover up my own selfishness. So that I pray, God, that for myself and the rest of us as we walk out of here today, that we would not allow those excuses to hinder that hope. God, I I lift up churches around the world this morning who have met today or are meeting today or will meet today quietly in houses, in houses, in basements, behind locked doors. I pray for the new believers that they would be grounded and deeply rooted in their faith, in their relationship with you. I pray that their family members would see the light of Jesus and not reject them because of you. I pray for the pastors and the church leaders that you would give them insight and discernment as they are out sharing the gospel and that you would continue to give them courage even in the face of persecution. I pray that more people across this world would continue to turn from darkness to the light of Jesus. I pray for us that we would be inspired by their courage. That we would share Jesus with the freedom that you have given us to do so. God, that in whatever circle you have us at work, with our neighbors, with our families, with our friends, that Jesus, we would show unhindered hospitality and hope in your name. Amen. So we're going to take communion together. And if you don't have communion elements, if you just do me a favor real quick, we have some greeters. If you want to raise your hand, somebody will just bring one up to you real quick. So you can just raise your hand and we'll bring those up. Um, And if you are a follower of Jesus, then this is for you. Back in October, when we had the Global Missions Conference, it was, it was a neat experience where we took communion together in solidarity with other churches around the world. And so I want us to think of that today, that to remember that there are churches in this world right now, or maybe later today, that are going to be taking communion together, but they can't do it with people knowing because of the danger that they face. And the other thing, too, is that I think that, the, that communion is an incredible example of hospitality, and here's why. On the day when they shared the last, the last Supper, one of the things that Jesus did for his disciples was he washed their feet. What you think of that even in today's context is kind of weird, right, and awkward and gross. But back then, it would have been totally different. I mean, these guys walked around in sandals, on dirt roads, with lots of livestock, and you know what livestock do. And so these feet were bad. And yet Jesus washed all of them, including Judas knowing what Judas was going to do, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus offered him hospitality. And then when it came time to to eat, when they shared this meal, Jesus offered hospitality to all of them, including Judas. Judas ate too, even though Jesus knew what he was going to do. And so I just, as you take this and as you leave today, I want you to think of who is it in your life that maybe you think doesn't even deserve hospitality? that maybe Jesus would offer it to them anyway. And so if you want to peel back the top layer under there, you'll find the bread. And it says this in Luke 22. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. If you just want to peel back the the next layer. It says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Would you all stand as we close in singing together? Are you hurting and broken within?